What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Woke, episode 19. Glad to be back in the studio. Glad to be back to do another episode to peek into the minds of other black individuals and see what it was like for them growing up that way. Now, to my guest in the studio, everyone give a beautiful, beautiful round of applause for Mo. Hello. Hi. I'm so glad that you were able to come to the show, Mo. I'm very excited about this episode. So, let's get down to it. What was it like for you growing up black? So, um, I am multiracial. So, I'm African-American, I'm Hispanic, I'm white, and Native American. So, um, you know, growing up, it was pretty... I had a very big identity crisis because my father's adopted. So we don't even know half of what he is, which is crazy. But um, but my mother always told me, like, because she's Dominican, so she always told me, no matter what, like, you can say you're Hispanic, you can say whatever you want, but you're, you're black. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I know that. So, um, uh, I mean, growing up, I grew up in Petersburg. So, <laughs> yeah, I went to, it was no... It was just minorities at my elementary school, and I did notice, like, um, there were a couple kids that were white, and they got treated differently by the white teachers. I noticed that at a very young age. And I remember asking my mother about it. I was like, Mom, like, because I, I, you know, I didn't experience the type of racism because of my skin complexion, but um, I did have brothers who, and sisters who are darker than me, so, but I asked my mom, I was like, mom, like, what's that about? Like, why are we all treated equal? And, you know, she gave me the talk and was like, you know, like, there's this thing called racism. There's this thing called, like, you know, people are treated differently because of what they look like. And I was like, no way, no way, why? You know? And, um, yeah, so I think I luckily, like, I had the privilege because I, I, I think anybody who is, like, um, on how to explain it, they're they're lighter skinned. I feel like they have unfortunately better privilege than darker people, which is horrible. Um, but you know, I can tell that I was treated differently than my siblings who were darker than me. So yeah. And also being a fair skinned person, I completely completely get what you're talking about because there have been plenty of insta- instances in my life where I have gotten that light skin pass, mm-hmm. where I can interact with these white people and I'm Aaron, you know, I'm not like the others, and it's always like, what do you mean? And I remember one day I was at my grandmother with work because she used to work at Hampton Sydney in um, the food department. And one of her coworkers in the office is white. And her son would always hang out with me. And we would always talk and stuff. And one day, like, she broke it down to me. And I was like, man, um, Mrs. Such and Such is so nice to me. And she was like, she's only nice to you because you're light-skinned. And I was like, what? She said, no, Aaron, if you see how she treats other darker-skinned African-American people, she is, like, disgusted by them. But since you are a lighter complexion, it's basically okay. Mm-hmm. And for me, that wasn't okay. And I feel like in the black community, we do have that sort of colorism on ourselves too, just because 
we often have that light skin versus dark skin beef where that can, that goes back all the way to slavery because you know the lighter skin people would be in the house mm-hmm. because you are products of the slave master so therefore he would take you in depending on who like the woman was that he slept with like we hear that stories with like thomas jefferson of course that's why like there are black people who are related to him because of an instance like that mm-hmm. but it is something in our community that is definitely damaging that that colorism aspect of assuming that we think we're better because we're light-skinned and that they're lesser. And there's some light-skinned people out there who unfortunately think that and stuck in that mindset. Mm-hmm. I, know, I remember something that Dad tells me all the time. Um, he was like, don't let them um, put you in a box because of, like, I am lighter-skinned. And he was saying, like, some um, white people may think you're... Because if I say Black Lives Matter, some white people are going to be like, well, okay, she's for she's for black lives. Like, okay, she identifies black. Or if I'm like, I'm not going to say white lives matter, but you know what I mean? Like, if I'm like, if I say something that's, um, you know you know what I mean? Like, they the t- people try to put you in a box. And, um, you know, that's something I've always kind of dealt with growing up, so. And that box can come from a multitude of environments, mm-hmm. a multitude of people we interact with. Because I know you're from Petersburg. Shout out to Trey Sons. Because, you know, <laughs> he's from Petersburg, too. I'm from Richmond, though, but I lived in Petersburg. Oh, never mind then. Shout out to the 804 then. <laughs> What's up, everybody in Richmond? Oh, for real? <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> but um, it is definitely something that happens so much that we get put in those boxes. And now we have those identity crises. And we're... The, we're forced to choose sides. Like, am I going to act black? Am I going to act white? Because I remember um, the girl who plays Sam on Dear White People, okay. the light-skinned um, woman, I can't think of her name right now, but she said she was adopted. And growing up, like being fair of skin, when she was like in Atlanta, um, the black girls would criticize her and act, say she's not acting black enough. So when she moved to California, she was like, Mom, I need this, I need this, I need that, I need to act more black. And then when she go to these preppy white schools, then she's too black. And, like, that was something that carried through her whole life. Mm-hmm. And myself, I have had, I don't, I don't want to call it an identity, identity crisis, like something major, but I went to Prince Edward County High School in Farmville. So I always say Prince Edward is a food chain. Like, if you're not a predator, you definitely pray. And if you're not, quote, unquote, black, then you an outcast. And, like, just because I didn't say my pants, my newest sneakers, like, I didn't fit that stereotype. But to them, I didn't fit the status quo. Mm-hmm. I was outcasted. So I found myself and my friends who are a very diverse group of people who I'm very fortunate to have. Speaking of that, I also wanted to ask you, do you think your friends, like, your circle does define you as a black person, too? Well, what I mean by that is, like, do you think the black people or, like, the multitude of people you hang out with, regardless of race or color, like, make you see yourself as more black? Because I know there's some people who have had that coming from all black schools to a PWI like Longwood, and they're mostly hanging out with black people, and they realize how black they are, or they're hanging out with a different mix of people, black, white, whatever, and then they realize they're still black, but either they put themselves in that box mindset or they realize that they're black and they have to educate their friends around them. Oh, I get you. Yeah, so, okay, coming here, so I have a very diverse friend group. Um, so coming here, my 
few friends that I first met are white. Um, and I remember feeling, feeling like weird. I don't know. I felt like an outcast in a way. And I remember my friend, um, Janae, you might know her, Janae, she invited me to the multicultural center. And I, I was like, oh, what's that? And she was like, yeah, like we just hang out and we just talk or whatever. So I went and I haven't been around like so many minorities in so long since I got here. So it was like, it felt, it felt very relieving. It felt, felt very like at home. It was like, yeah, it was like a recharge because, um, like I said, my family, my family is very diverse of all colors, all races. So, you know, um, but I, I did grow up, grow up with either Hispanics or black people in my life. So coming here, it just, I just really felt like at home. I just felt like it was really a breath of fresh air. And I remember coming, I remember walking out of the multicultural center, multicultural center. I cannot get that right. <laughs> I remember coming out of there and I was like, mom. <laughs> Mom, guess who? Guess where I went? And I told her about it. And I was like, I like, I just, I feel like, okay, I like Longwood. I like, I like it here because like, they have that community, and I'm a part of that community now. Now that I like met them, you know, the people in the multicultural center. Yeah. And it's good to definitely like go back into that, mm-hmm. those type of settings because I love going up to the third floor up church in the mm-hmm. multicultural center and talking to everybody because we can have anything from a goofy ass conversation yeah. to something very real, which happens a lot, and we get to know who each other are. We get to see where everyone's mindset is, where they come from, because we all come from different places. Because like one of my best friends here at school, like he doesn't come to come up there like a lot, but. Shout out my boy Jared. Like, he's a black dude, like, from North Carolina. So all those times I go out there, it reminds me of the conversations we had and still have just yeah. because he's a very, like, intellectual person. He's biracial as well. He's seen the good and the bad of that. So he can definitely bring that to the table. And then when I talk to everyone else up there, we all come, like I said, from a multitude of different backgrounds. Like, my boy E-Man. Uh, yeah, yeah E-Man. He's, like, from up north, so he's got that take on it. My boy Andrew, he's from New York, but he lived in Virginia. Like, I'm from a small town of Farmville. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a good melting pot. And it's like sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes it can be like a double-edged sword. Like, <clears throat> sorry, y'all. We can see the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. But I think, <clears throat> dang, but I think, like, that's the beauty of it. Yes. That is what black is, knowing our strengths and our weaknesses, but... Sometimes we capitalize on each other's weaknesses instead of building up each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. So I know from, like, your social media account and, like, the little bit of knowledge I have about you, like, you're big into music. Mm-hmm. So who are some, like, most influential people to you for music? Can I cuss on you? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, I guess the, uh, do you know Joey Badass? Ah, mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you, I... <laughs> I first got into Joey Badass at the beginning of my freshman year, so ah, when was that? I don't 2020, 2016, I guess. Um, I was going through a very rough moment, and I was looking for music on SoundCloud. I was really getting into music, and I found Joey Badass, and I was just like, I was hooked. And I don't know if you know who um, Capital Steez is, no? Which is Joe. Uh, so Joey Badass is a product part of Pro Era. And um, Capital C's made Pro Era. So Capital C's is a New York rapper. Um, he passed away in 2012, but he is Joey Badass and Capital C's are literally the best rappers, best everything to me because of how real they are in their music. And I appreciate 
um, when I listen to music, I not only listen to the the beat of it, of course, but I also listen to the message. And I feel like um, Capital C's and Joey Badass, they give a very important message about the government, about like America as a whole. So, yeah, those are my favorite things. Those are good choices. I mean, Joey Badass, personally, I like him better as a producer than a rapper because he brings so much talent to the table. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, personally for me, I like Pharrell better as a producer because he brings so many good artists he knows everybody that's why like something in the water is always huge at virginia you know what i'm saying like from the opening act to the main event it's all big names and it's for three days but because that's like that power of that talent that networking and sometimes it 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 takes a lot especially being a black person Mm -hmm. because you gotta think this more than likely wasn't able to happen like a few like years ago like in the 80s or like in the early 90s when you had like bad boy out like with biggie and big sean um diddy combs you know shout out diddy (laughs) and all these other big name rappers but now we get to see that cohesiveness from stuff like coachella to something in the water where everyone brings something to the table and it just makes people's eyes open even more to these amazing black artists yeah who's your favorite Who's my favorite? Yeah. My favorite rapper right now is Lil Uzi. And okay. I love Lil Uzi because it reminds me of myself, mm-hmm. but I'm a little bit more humbler than Uzi. Okay. It's just because like I can tell Uzi was the type of person where people used to shit on him mm-hmm. for being himself. And now that he's himself and he got money, it's like, where y'all at now? And I respect that because I know he grinded for what he has. Because I'm in the same boat. Like, I didn't grow up getting a lot of respect from black people. I didn't grow up having everything handed to me like everybody else. But I'm definitely on the way to making things happen. So that's why, like, he's my guy. Because he can go off and give you a great rap song that's just about nothing. Or he can give you, like, some real stuff. That's, why, like, one of my favorite songs by him is The Way Life Goes. Because, like, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that song is, like, very real. Like, especially the remix with Nicki. Because she put some really good input into it, too, coming from a black woman perspective, mm-hmm. which I found to be really dope. But there's a bunch of other, like, great rappers out there. Some people, in my opinion, are a little overrated. But, yeah. like, NBA Youngboy, just just saying. He just makes party music. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing like attention grabbing to me. Yeah. But it is something when an artist speaks to you. Because I feel like our favorite artists, we find pieces our, of ourselves in them. So, like, you want to elaborate on that some more? Sure. Um, no, I totally get that. So, I guess for Capital C's, what I was so in tune with his music is because, well, like, he talks about, like, how, um, how not, all, not also how, okay, he talks about how, like, corrupt the government is, okay. Um, and I, back then when I heard him, I didn't understand that. Like, I, I was freshman in high school, wasn't worried about that look more into it, realize what he was talking about. And then second, um, with like seeing myself in him, he was very, um, he always loved the number 47. It represented something to him. And people didn't understand that, called him weird, called him. He always thought he was this this higher entity. He thought he was uh, this, this being that was, um, what's the word, powerful, basically. Like we all are, but like he, he, he knew it, right? And he would say it in a song, 47, 47, and people thought it was weird. So um, I guess kind of feeling like the outcast in a way, that's how I connected with him because, like, people weren't seeing him. They they weren't seeing, uh, what's the word, the true the true meaning in what he was saying. So, yeah, that's, yeah, I feel that. Definitely. It 
to me that always speaks volume about who you are no matter what genre it is what group it is whatever it is like your favorite artists do say something about you like whether you realize it or not so back to what i wanted to also ask you i know you said that you were fortunate and like you love being at longwood and like you felt after coming to the multicultural center that it was it for you you glad you found a sense of community that you have now is there anything coming in that you would change or like anything like you would do that would have changed? Would you have been involved in some organizations more or would you like, would you keep everything the same? You mean like from knowing what, like what do you mean? From just from the perspective of you. Okay. Like that's, that's all I'm asking. Like I know coming in, a lot of people say if it wasn't for me joining this or if it wasn't for me having this experience, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be who I am. You can find that at any college, but I'm like asking specifically for you. Like, is there anything here that has that made that switch click? Oh, I get you. So I'm a freshman. So this is my first year. Um, and I, I think what made it clink, click, wow, click <laughs> is, um, oh, that's hard. Does it have to be black related or can it be anything related? A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Oof. So I did join, um, what is it, BSA, but I haven't been to any <laughs> meetings yet. But um, I know, I know, I pop out. But uh, that's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm still new to the school, so I'm still learning everything and I'm still um, learning all the clubs and stuff. But something that's not black related that really um, kind of – set the stone for me was joining um wmou that was a very expressive thing i'm doing a podcast and stuff um that was i think that was something that okay i was like this is it this is supposed to be a longwood that was one of the things and like i said like i'm still learning i'm still learning all the um clubs here but definitely gonna get into bsa and uh they have a hispanic one i think mm -hmm. so yeah that's something i'm gonna definitely do that's good. I'm glad that you're getting your feet wet early because mm -hmm. I know you're, from my perspective, you're taking on enough because I know for me and some other freshmen, we try to take on a lot mm -hmm. and that kind of like fucked us up. But for students like you who come in, who do a little bit, but still be involved, like that's very solid. Like definitely come to the BSA means we're not going to have one this Thursday because of the cookout for the chief going on. So definitely show out to that. Definitely come to some meetings. I remember um, one of our conversations we had, we were talking about mental health and, like, spirituality. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes in the black community, we have these stigmas around mental health, like, talking about your feelings. It's like, eh, like, why? Why do you need to bring up old stuff? Mm -hmm. Like, just keep moving forward. Like, what's your opinion on that, especially being a black woman? Mm -hmm. Because that's something to me is mental health is already serious. Yes. And women... More so, I feel like you all are allowed and you all expected to express your feelings more. But in the black community, it's still that nitty-gritty, tough mindset of, like, just get over it. So what's your take on that? So, um, like I said, I'm black and Hispanic, and Hispanics are really tough. Um, especially my mom. She, I remember, like, I was a baby, man. I'm, a, I'm the youngest child, so, of course, I was, I, I'm emotional. I'm not going to lie. And my mom would always say, like, why are you crying? Like, what's what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? And I would, you know, try to tell her, and it was, like, kind of like my feelings aren't valid. But she still, she still, um, what's the word? She still comforted me and stuff, but my dad is definitely different because he, he's also, he's mixed with African-American, but 
he's on the lighter side. He's very light. He's very light. You wouldn't think he was black at all. Um, but you can tell that it's a difference from like him um, being uh, what's the word? He grew up around a he grew up around a white family. He was more comforting into my feelings. He was more like, okay, let's talk. Let's do this. Let's what's wrong? Other my mom is kind of like, nah, like you're good. You're, you know, you're you're good. We can talk, but like you're good. You know. So I kind of felt like um, I I do get that stigma like uh, African Americans they're like uh, they're more tough. They're definitely more tough. So I feel like um, I feel like <sighs> um, it shouldn't. I th I think everybody has feelings. Everybody should feel you know what they want to feel, and. Um, I definitely have, oh, my friend Taylor, my, t my friend Taylor, she's Haitian, and her dad is very rough on her, very rough on her, and I can see where she comes from as for, like, her mental health is deteriorating sometimes because of how rough and how, um, her parents are to her sometimes, and how they kind of treat her like her feelings aren't valid, and that does deteriorate your mind and mess up everything, mm -hmm. so I can definitely understand, and I, I, like I said, like, I'm lucky to have to loving parents who very much appreciate it, like, and talk to me without stuff, but I can definitely understand, like, um, or I can see that with African Americans and it's, it's sometimes hard or for, like, males, especially males, African American men, yes, for sure. Um, it's, it's rough to, and if they say their feelings, they're considered weak, so... Yeah, one of my friends, um, Cuba, she's very big on mental health on the men's side, too, mm -hmm. just because she hates how we have to live with that stigma of, like, we're black men, we got to endure, we got to, like, face every adversity and not feel nothing. And it's like, we're not brick walls. Mm -hmm. We are human. We're allowed to feel what we feel. And, of course, the term for it is toxic masculinity. And I just feel like it's very heavily more presented in the black community. And I remember one time... And I'm in this program called CLASP, mm -hmm. and we work um, with minority students coming in along with first-gen students. And on Sunday nights, we have men's sessions. And one night, we were talking about uh, what it is to be a man. And one guy in there, I forget his name, he was talking about, like, for example, a deaf. Like, this, he was, to paraphrase, he was like, there comes a time, you know, when, when shit goes on, you just got to be a man. Mm -hmm. And I wish I would have said something, but I want to be like, that's what we're talking about right now. What is being a man? Is being a man cutting off your feelings rather than acknowledging them and growing from them? Or is, like, what's your definition? And I really wanted to know because I personally feel like that's bullshit. Like, if I'm upset and it's bothering me to the point where I need to talk about it with the person who either hurt me or in general, I'm going to do it. Like, I don't care if it makes me look weak because I'm human. Mm -hmm. Being human isn't weak. Being human is human. Mm -hmm. But as a black man, we can't afford that because coming from my father, who is a very, like, tough, like, rough around the edges guy, he ain't going to talk about his feelings. And so is my grandfather. He's like that, too. And so are a lot of other black men that I know. And it's just one of those things where, like, I know I can't come to you with this because you're just not going to get it. Like, you don't have that programming in you. You don't have that responsiveness to understand that talking about your feelings is okay. You're just going to shut it down because I've had that happen and it pissed me off. And 
it's just one of these things where I'm glad I know who I can come to, man, woman, black, white, and they can understand how I feel. But it's just I think about all the other black men out there who don't have that. And I think about the other black women out there who don't have that. And I just wish that there would be a bigger change, not just in understanding, but a bigger change in the culture. The aspect of like, we got to be tough because I always was told that asking for help is a sign of strength. And asking for your health, your help about mental health is damn sure a big thing to do because we're prone to not talk about how we feel. I understand what you were saying. Um, and I feel like it's all about, like, the generation. So I feel like, and, and what I'm seeing, um, I feel like the generation now, like, our generation are going to be more acceptable to mental health and, of course, more aware of what's right. And, like, we should talk about our feelings. We're human. As for, like, my fa- our father's generation or, you know, our grandfather's generation, it's different because they were raised to be this, you know, bring the food, uh, bring the bring the money home, um, you know, mm-hmm. do all the work, and you can't have any feelings. Like, you just got to do that. So that's how they were raised. And, of course, they brought it to our fathers, and they bring it to us. Um, but I think that this generation is going to be the generation that changes it all. That's what my opinion. I feel like we can um, – this generation is going to be so big, man. We're going to do big things. And I feel like it's it starts with mental health and all that and wellness. That's what I really think. 100%, 100% agree with you on that. We are the generation that's definitely going to change that, and we're going to normalize it. And soon, not responding and not respecting mental health is going to be the weird thing, and I can't wait for that shit to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed everything. I definitely will have you back for my next season. Thank all of you for listening. Continue to listen to Woke. Follow me on Instagram at underscore relentless15. Follow me on Twitter at Visionary5. Be on the lookout for more episodes of Woke. And fuck it. Season two will be coming soon. All right, y'all? Just get ready.